Hello, everybody. How's everyone doing? It's been a while. So, I'm going to start off. I lied to you. There is no guest on this episode. <laughs> but instead, <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a unique jaunt. Um, there's a couple things that have happened with Sparkle Pony Bear, and there's been some confusions, some misconceptions, some all kinds of craziness. Nothing necessarily bad. I like to take everything in stride. But so this episode is going to be kind of explaining what a lot of people, whether you're in a studio or you're writing musical theater or you're writing plays or writing television. It's the same thing, same fucking thing that's going to happen no matter what. And so this episode, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be broken into two chunks. This is the first chunk, and I'm going to kind of explain and tell you what's happening with Sparkle Pony Bear. The second chunk will be recorded later, (laughs) because after you hear the first chunk, then you'll understand why I needed to stop, get some stuff, and then show the second half of this episode. Um... So yeah, where do I begin? Okay, so we all know the trials and tribulations of the opening number for Sparkle Pony Bear. Um, We originally had the amazingly talented Devin Ala come in. Um, We started with a very slow kind of ballady version of the song. And just for a frame of reference, I'm going to put that right here. wasn't that lovely (laughs) but it was a little morose so then I kind of threw the kitchen sink and I created a rock version of the song and just so you understand and get you up to speed this is what the rock version of the song ended up sounding like Yes, that was fun. (laughs) But I'll be completely honest. Sometimes when you spend so much time, especially on one specific song, you kind of lose your original vision. You know, the eye on the prize is always kind of changing. And it changes with what's going on in your life. It changes with your approach. Um, And so, yeah, I was getting... So I put it out there. um, And it was just... I was getting a very tepid response. Um, 
typically when you want feedback from your peers or feedback from the public, you, you want a very distinct reaction, right? You're either going to get the, oh my God, that was so cool. Or you're going to get the, Ugh, what the fuck were you thinking? Like that was horrible. Um, and these are great because this is what tells you you are aren't doing right. And in my in the course of my career, I've always prided myself on creating something that will always give a very distinct reaction, whether positive or negative, because those very distinct visceral reactions allow us to really take a look and fine tune and tweak things. Usually if someone really hates something, it's something within it that you can actually easily fix or edit or adjust accordingly to, and then boom, everyone loves it. Not always the case, but that's been kind of how, that's pretty much the story of my career. So, tepid response, I was getting a little bummed out. Um, there was a lot of scheduling issues. Um, I'm not as familiar working with actor talent. I'm more familiar working with um, studio talent. So studio talent, especially with singers, when you go, hey, here's a mic, here's a song, they're gonna, as long as they like the song, they're gonna jump overboard for it because to them, it's, it's a free recording, it's a demo, it showcases what they're doing. If the demo goes well, it goes into full album, you know, there is, there is no real loss for a singer to invest their time in something that's more like a studio project because there's so much you're gonna get out of it that usually there's a level of ambition and a level of excitement that I'm just used to having. And I feel like with this project and with actors, actors are busy. Actors are constantly trying to figure out how they're gonna get on stage. Actors are also very in touch with their emotions. So they have their own interpersonal demons and issues and things that they struggle with. And I think just, a culmination of the fact that I'm getting a tepid response off the song, and also at the same time, I feel like the talent, although amazing talent, I'm just not getting the response, the reaction, the just the certain level of dedication that I require and feed off of. So I was a little bummed. I was a little down on myself. And so something very odd happened, because um, <clears throat> I started listening to the song again, and I started going, you know what, you're right. This is a pretty boring song. I, I think I could do better. I think on the song, I really enjoyed the lyrics I wrote. I liked this approach of, of kind of having a song that sounds one way, but the subject matter and the lyrics goes in an exact opposite, you know? The, the song as being sung by the, the performing artist is really about pumping up your chest pumping up your ego. You, you were in this relationship for two years. Shit happened. Maybe you were at fault. Maybe he was at fault. Maybe you were both at fault. And now this is your moment, as we've all been in, regardless of you know the type of relationship. You get to that point where you like kind of strut your chest, you stroke your ego, and you go, this is right. This is what I was supposed to do. And But I feel... Sonically, the arrangement, which is usually what people hire me to do, the arrangements are what people hire me for, not the lyrics necessarily. The arrangement just was boring. It was very generic. And I think it was because I was focusing too much on the lyrical content that I wasn't really looking at the overall picture. 
So I kind of took a break and I started looking at other projects, other things I could do. And along that course, I ran into a bunch of old songs I'd recorded. So I used to have a studio set up in San Francisco. And basically, it was kind of like a chop shop, right? So we had our regular paying projects like commercials for Microsoft or producing bands and stuff like that. And so for those, what we would do is we'd have musicians that we would pay and they would come in and they would perform exactly as the things were written because these are going off into commercial ventures. As a side gig, I would write little songs and do little things with them just within like 15, 30 minute segments. Like, oh, we got a break. All right. Hey guys, can we just record this real quick? And so I'm going to start, I'm going to play the full thing, but here's a snippet of one of the earlier songs I wrote that I just was listening to and just kind of bringing up all these memories and all this like, you know, oh, remember when I used to be cool. So the original that I was listening to was this. She cannot sleep until I whisper what she wants. Keep on pretending want to run for my last chance Up in the chair, there to atone She is lost in simple daydreams, nothing's there Again, I'm just kind of showing you a couple of segments. So I had a full string quartet, um, but every, you know, I had a fake drum machine in because I just, I didn't have a drummer. Um, you know, the overall kind of arrangements outside of the or string quartet were just a little like, bleh. So I just, but the thing was, the song just was really cool and it just reminded me of all these things. So then, completely forgetting about Sparkle Pony Bear, I completely gutted the song, redid some arrangements, redid some tweaking, and kind of, along the way, kind of rediscovered some of the things I used to work on, some of the styles, um, a format where I would utilize the instrumentation I had, like a string quartet, and be very kind of like classically trained with it is how I was writing it out and like putting in very specific dynamic markings. But then I would go back in my own studio and I would kind of create my own little sounds and just really experiment and do some really, um, I don't know if in hindsight we were gonna say interesting, but to me it was really cool and it would always push me to learn more and, and to further. So, so I kind of adopted that and then I retooled it. I kept the strings the same with some tweaking. <laughs> and then and I just kind of added this whole kind of electroscape. And that... So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till I share what I came of that because I've got a train of thought. I'm going to keep going with this motherfucker. So, so with that, I kind of realized, oh, there, there's an element of my songwriting that I used to have that I don't seem to really have. I haven't really captured, at least for Sparkle Pony Bear. And it's not really gelling the way I wanted it to. So I took, and now, so I just want to kind of explain that. So, so what I did was I took 
the song that's called Jealousy, the new song. And, or it was an old song, now it's a new song. And so this is what the new version of Jealousy is in its entirety. She cannot sleep until I whisper what she wants. I keep on pretending want to run for my last chance. Up in the chair, there to atone. She is lost in simple daydreams, nothing's there. She saw the truth devouring me, unleashing rage. Cause she makes me so jealous. Yeah, she makes me so jealous. She is strong. I am so weak inside. I am so weak. You are strong. scares me so What I do to her consumes me I'm so sorry I am sorry One time, that's all I need Two times, why can't you see? One time, running away Two times, she wants to stay Cause she makes me so jealous Yeah, she makes me so jealous She is strong I am so weak inside I am so weak You are strong So I had an entire section of me talking recorded after this song, but then after listening to the song again, I was like, oh, I don't like what I said. So 
<laughs> Not that you need to know or care, because, you know, it's the way the cookie crumbles. But yeah, so, so what I've decided is I'm just going to kind of ramble on a couple of things, and I'm going to leave that as this episode. Um, <clears throat> so what you just heard, I was very proud of. I really enjoyed what I was able to come up with. And I think what happened was in listening to that, not only what I had done years ago, but, but what I was able to kind of pull out of my ass at the 11th hour fairly quickly, for me anyway, um, it just kind of showed me that Sparkle Pony Bear deserves to be special, and it deserves to sound special. And I think what I was doing was I was being too compartmentalized, and I was focusing too much on very myopic issues to to instead of just creating a really kick-ass song like a song that I just thought was really kick-ass that also conveys a message and and I think that there's a balance I think I can do both I think I can do better basically um but it's not entirely true that that I came to this realization myself um and it's difficult right like when you're writing you kind of feel like you live in a vacuum. You're, you're, you're doing everything yourself, and then you put it on the sound, sound cloud, <laughs> and then you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Maybe I'll get some likes, you know? And you just, it kind of goes there, and then you're not really sure how you're going to progress beyond that. And really what it was was having multiple people kind of just be like, this song is really boring, Um with the opening Sparkle Pony Bear song. So, so yeah, I just was like, okay, fine. All right. I've gotten this out of my system. I've seen good work that I can do even today. So I need to apply that to Sparkle Pony Bear. There's also, <laughs> there's also a thing about talent. And I think, I guess I, I talk about it but I, I kind of pussyfoot around it maybe is part of a problem I have with this. Um, I find that, and I'm, <laughs> I find that actors are much more sensitive and much more territorial than I originally thought. I, case point. So I'm running into an issue, right? So, so Devin sings the Thanks for Everything, and he sings, and then I create these two versions. I've got this acoustic, slow guitar version, and then after that, I have the rock version. Way before I even knew Devin existed, um, there was Roy, who is now kind of helping me and working on this, but Roy Flores was originally supposed to gonna was going to be like the demo guy that was just going to help me kind of sing. He's going to sing this out because, again, I sound like a gay Kermit the Frog. I made a huge error in judgment by sharing with him what Devin sang after I moved Devin on to the Jealousy song. Because the Jealousy song is a whole new project now because I'm fucking crazy and I can't stop with all these goddamn fucking projects but (laughs) and you can tell it agitates me because I sound like a goddamn Rosie Perez but um 
and that was my bad. I shared with him what I'd done so far and was like, hey, this is what I did, but we're moving Devin into this project. I also realized Roy disappeared. Like, he went off to do some show, didn't really communicate what was happening, just kind of disappeared. And then I reached out to him again, and I was like, where the hell have you been? So I just want to set the record straight on that. But he got very territorial, and he got very, like, like, it was almost like he was offended that someone else sang this song that he's now coming into and singing. And I want to kind of dissect that a little bit because there's a couple of elements that that I understand and then there are a couple of elements I'm a little taken back by. Um, the elements I understand, I understand that if you're an artist and someone has come before you... Okay, let me make it more about as a composer because I'm hoping that the people listening to this are actual composers and if you're in film like I've been in, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When the director puts in someone else's music into their edits so they have an idea of what they want you to do. There's nothing more offensive than that. And that's just the cost of doing business. I remember working on a Microsoft score and the director sent me a song by Wolf Parade. (laughs) And I was like, can't you just write something like that? And I was like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> and I was, I will admit, first 30, 30 minutes, I was insanely offended. And then I got, you know, and then they cut me a check. So I wasn't so offended. I was like, all right, you know. And I get that because to a director, it's just a shorthand way of communicating what they need done. Instead of the whole emotional experience, we don't got a lot of time here here's something that sounds similar to what I want. Oh, and by the way, I've already completely done a first edit of this project to this song, so you really do have to kind of follow it beat for beat, or else I have to re-edit and redo all my work. It's insanely annoying, and it's infuriating, and it makes it way more difficult for the composer, but any composer that is a true, like, actually makes money doing this and isn't just like, A, either so brilliant they can do whatever they want, or B, needs to pay the rent, has had to experience this. Um, And I think what I, I just, I think I can understand from that level when a singer has a piece of music that someone else has already sung. But then the part where I get confused is, it's like, okay, yeah, but you didn't write the fucking song. I did. (laughs) I'm coming up like such a dick. I'm so sorry, but it just—it's really been weighing on my mind. This has really been agitating me, which is why I'll have a second episode just devoted to all the magic that I'm about to retweak on. Um, thanks for everything, because obviously I haven't even gotten to it yet. I have ideas, but I'm still stewing. I'm not ready. Um, but yeah, let me keep on this about talent. Like I wrote the song, I poured all of this energy into it. The singer shows up. Let's just be fucking honest. They don't. They don't read. Wow. This is okay. Yep. This is going there. It's going there. I'm feeling it. Singers never rehearse the music before they show up in my room. They they look at it the day of. They even will email me and admit to me that they haven't looked at it. 
They come in. They're literally learning the song while they should be recording it. They don't have any preconceived ideas or anything that they've already stewed on emotionally. And then they're leaving it up to me to dictate and explain to them what I want. But then if someone else has already sung it, they're going to get territorial and they're going to be pissed because they want to feel special. I don't understand this. And I'm not singling anyone out because 90% of the actor singer talent I worked with in New York City, I've had this problem with. And it's been on varying degrees. I've paid very well to have singers come in and work. I've had singers come in and do it for free. I've, I've come on to projects to work with singers. And it's always the same. Why would you get territorial? Why would you become upset over a scenario where someone else has sung something that a composer has written if you yourself don't even know what you're going to do with the song yet? If you haven't even taken the time to learn the song, then, and this is just, I, I don't understand why that happens. I, I don't know why anyone would feel the inclination to be self-righteous if they themselves haven't actually really looked at the song. But, but this is an issue I'm running into. And I think for composers that are songwriters, it becomes even more complicated because we need singers to hear how this sounds. If I could sing this myself to get an idea of how the song sounds, I would just sing it myself. But I sound like shit. I sound horrible. I'm a horrible singer. If I was worth a lick of spit, if I was an all right singer, why I would be an artist. I would be a recording artist. I would be doing other things. The only reason I'm just a composer isn't, it's not just because I enjoy writing music for singers. It's because I can't do it. You could do it. So please, why don't you do it? And I know, and that, it's just, it really fucking gets under my skin because it's just like, for the two hours they sit or stand in front of that microphone, they don't understand the two weeks, the, I'll even say conservative estimate of over 24 hours you've spent on crafting and putting the song together. And, and, and not even that, even if you fucking write it and you record it, you still have to write it in finale. You still have to notate it. You have to make it so it's presentable so you can see it. It's like anytime I send something to a singer, I give them the full score. I give them the vocal score. I give them two versions of the, the, the song. One version that has their melody line in as an electric piano because heaven forbid they hear anyone else fucking sing the song. And I send them one that just has the backtrack so they can sing along to it. I've given them everything they could possibly need to just have an idea or come to the table with something. I, I'll even add notes about inspiration or why. You know, I didn't have this issue in LA or in San Francisco. <laughs> and maybe it's just the actor mentality or the actor mindset. Because out here in New York, everyone's so focused on the performance 
that they don't understand that a performance is fleeting, that once you've performed, it's done, it, you're not doing it again, but if you record it, it lives on in infamy. You, I, I don't know, these are just things that just, yeah. So, so yeah, I think <laughs> that, oh my God, that felt so good to get off my chest. Oh, I've been holding on to that for like two years. <laughs> but because there's only like three or four people that listen to this damn thing, I feel confident that I'm not going to get any hate for that. But so so that that that's where I was kind of at. I got some territorial pushback because the song had already been recorded by a previous singer. Um and this isn't the first time this has happened. This has happened quite a few times. Um and then in that there's like this level of like self-righteousness where I'm like, dude, I don't understand what you're coming from because it's like you didn't memorize the song. You don't even know the song. And I'm the one that spent all this time and effort working on it. Like I spent countless hours. Like you have to understand it's a humbling experience for me, even if there are not very many people listening to this podcast, it is a humbling experience for me to go before everyone and admit the song I wrote, the song I spent so much work on, just, it's boring. It's not up to par. That doesn't mean it can't be good. I'm going to make this. This is my new Moby Dick. That opening number is gonna fucking strip the enamel off your goddamn teeth. But I'm at least humble enough to admit, all right, it wasn't that I dialed it in. It wasn't that I was lazy. It just... Maybe it's because I had, you know, I went on the wrong tangent. I, but that's part of writing, right? As a composer, rejection is your middle name. Like, I, I get rejected probably 99% of the time, including in dating. God, I'm telling myself jokes. It makes me feel better because I want to cry. So... Now, that, that's where I'm kind of at with that, is that to recap this entire episode, it's also about me humbling myself. I did a shitty job on Thanks for Everything. It may be an all right song. You may have heard it and actually went, I, I kind of like it. I, and that's good, but it's not up to my standards. And sometimes you need to step back and either, as I did in both cases, I'm going to point out, you step back and you look at what you've done previously that you enjoy, which I did, and I shared, and then you got to work on something else sometimes. You got to work on something that maybe is half or new or something else just to get perspective, which I also did. I just shared with you. So now that I've done that, and I've also been able to kind of like unload my bile (laughs) on talent, and how annoying talent fucking is. Um, now that I've gotten that out of my system, I really do feel confident that when I get to Thanks for Everything, it's going to be a kick-ass song, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and that's the point of the podcast, is to kind of like catalog and show the different steps along the way. So for myself and my own sanity, I don't look at having to completely re-gut and rewrite things for everything as a bad thing. 
I don't think that this in any way means that I'm starting from scratch. It just is, it's a f- continuing evolution in the process of getting the final product to just be what it needs to be. And I think that's my advice to, if you're a singer and you're listening to this podcast, you got to pay attention to the fact that the composer has been eating, living, and breathing this material far longer than you could ever possibly imagine. So even if you're not going to take the time because you're busy or because of other factors, if you're not going to take the time to invest in the actual work and you're just going to show up and figure it out, ah, I understand that. It annoys me. <laughs> Pisses me off, but I live with it because I, you know what, you know, it's kind of like you can't really, <laughs> you know, it's like beggars aren't choosers, right? You get what you get. Um, but again, don't be a diva. Don't be pious. Don't don't feed into this idea that you're special because at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. At the end of the day, we're both trying to get the same recording done so the world can hear it and the world can hear how awesome the song is and for the performer, how awesome the performer is. And as long as you kind of have that, you have this special moment in relationship. It becomes a collaboration. But the minute you start throwing in ego, the minute you start throwing bile into the mix, it just gets real. It's like, I, I have enough on my plate. I don't need to be wore out, you know. Which is also why, in another episode, some at some point, I'll talk about firing talent. <laughs> which I've done many, many times. Some of them have been my best friends. Some of them I just thought were complete dicks. And other times I fired them because I had a drinking problem and I could. But but those are some fun stories and fun anecdotes. I, I kind of enjoy this bashing on talent stuff. But... <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so I'm going to wrap this up because we're at... Uh, like 35 minutes um so i'm gonna end with a song yay i've been sharing so much music today and thank you if you're listening because this has been very therapeutic for me it's been kind of a rough week um so the song i'm going to share with you is actually another one of these little gems of music pieces that i found in my old uh in an old hard drive full of just like B-side recordings and stuff. Um, This is with the singer Danielle Parfit. Um, Stephen Boyce is on drums on this. Peter Hudson, AKA Peter Frampton is on the bass guitar and I'm on the piano and Andy Kushner is on the electric guitar. This is back when I was in a band called Death of the General. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I still think that name, that band, if the band had actually done anything, it would have been pretty kick-ass. But, so I'm going to kind of close with that song. That song actually was written as, it was a thought experiment. So you heard Jealousy and how I rewrote that. Um, but I wanted to retool it and write it from the female perspective. So, So this is, Think of this as the female response to the gay-ass male version of jealousy. All right, I'm out of here. Peace out, bitches. Crispy, crispy taco. Bye.
Can't sleep.